like to ask the rest of you to turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And I'd like you to follow along as I read beginning in verse 16. Galatians 5.16. Verse 16, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. Father, as we consider... uh, your word this morning and this passage and the message that you have put on my heart, I pray that you would grant us by your grace that spirit of humility that enables us to be teachable. And let us compare the truth of your word against the the lies of our day, which are presented as truth, but they're false, because they're contrary to your revelation. And with faith, let us embrace what you have laid before us, the hope and the confidence that is in the good news of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Lord, change the way we think today that we might by faith embrace the promises that you make us and thereby experience your transformation in our lives. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been kind of walking with Paul in his journey as he explains to us his singular passion, I want to know Jesus Christ. That's the thing that motivates me, he says. It drives me. It controls my behavior. It, it consumes all of my energy. I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to be found in Him. Not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness which comes on the basis of faith. And so he says, I am in pursuit of that goal. That is my driving ambition. And it's in Philippians chapter 3 that he gives that testimony, having spoken to us in the second chapter, and we looked at that last week, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. He existed in his heavenly realm face to face with the Father as God. All the angels of heaven worshipped him. He dwelt in glory and majesty and he gave all of that up 
laid it aside, did not count it, you know, something he had to hang on to, but he came to this earth in the form of human flesh and took on the form of a servant and sinful flesh, and he did for us what we needed to have done. He did not uh, rest in his glory of eternity, but he came as a humble servant and ministered to us. And Paul says, have that attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ. That attitude of humility, that spirit of graciousness. And as I pointed out to you last week, when, when we have that kind of humility, from our perspective, it makes us teachable. Among other things, it makes us teachable. It makes us willing to be open to correction. Willing to be taught from the Word. Willing to be changed. And that is a necessary prerequisite for moving further down the path of grace. We, we need to be in a place where God can tell us when we're wrong. And fix our thinking and direct us in His ways. And so this morning as we come to the message that I have for you today, I just want to stress the fact that we need to be willing to be taught of God. Because we're living in a time where the Word of God is has been so challenged and so maligned by the worldliness of Western culture that the church has lost sight of what is true and what is not true. And many things are given to us in the name of uh, modern discoveries and modern medicine and modern science and psychiatry and counseling theory and all of that kind of stuff that we have been handed. And the church, by and large, has bought into a lot of it. And as a consequence, we have lowered the bar. We've reduced the standard to a point where we now accept as normal lifestyles among followers of Jesus Christ that are not statistically different from the way the world lives. All you have to do is read George Barna and some of the other statisticians who compare the attitudes of church-going Christ-claiming people with attitudes of people who don't even bother, and you can see that the church is not very much different from the world in its attitudes and thoughts and behaviors and what it believes. And the purpose of the Word of God is to transform our thinking by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that thinking God's thoughts, we can embrace by faith the truth. And in doing that, allow the Holy Spirit then to bring our lives into conformity with that truthfulness. Now, what I'm going to share with you this morning is also going to, uh, it's going to be very tempting to say, okay, I've got to go out and try harder. I heard the message this morning, I see the point, I've got to go out and try harder to be more like Jesus. And, and I just want to reinforce the folly of that kind of thinking. There is nothing in Scripture that encourages us to try harder as followers of Jesus Christ, but we are encouraged to trust more. The life that I'm holding before you this morning, 
on the basis of the good news of the gospel, is a life that is enjoyed by faith. It is a life that comes because we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. You can't, but He can. It is not possible for us in our own strength, but it is possible for Him. And so the, the, the goal here is having heard the truth, to embrace it by faith, and now say, Lord Jesus, I'm counting on you to do this in my life. This is not something I can do, but I'm counting on you to do it because you hold it forth to me as a possibility. Now, one of the things that Paul does in all of his letters, Paul in the Bible, in all of his letters, nearly all of them, is, is he lays a doctrinal foundation, a biblical foundation of truth, before he makes the application. And the reason for that is, is that our experience, our practice, has got to be grounded in truth. And if it's not grounded in truth, then we have no idea whether what we're doing is right or not. And our feelings and emotions and circumstances change, and then our mind kind of changes with that. We have to have a foundation of truth under us in order to reach by faith for what is possible in our practice. So I want to lay for you this morning a foundation of biblical truth about what is possible. We're asking the question, as I grow in Christ-likeness, as I keep my eyes fixed on Him, as I have this same passion that Paul has, that I want to know Him, what is really possible in my life? First of all, what does the Scripture say is the truth about maturing in holiness? about maturing in sanctification, about growing. These are all words for basically the same thing. Growing in Christ-like character. Well, let me begin by saying that the word save really has as its root the concept of being healed or made whole. You know, I don't know about you, but I grew up with the concept of are you saved, meaning are you going to go to heaven instead of hell? You know, almost like you have your insurance policy. Are you going to escape hell? Are you going to go to heaven? Are you saved? And unfortunately, in the English language, we kind of see saving as being rescued from danger. You know, we were saved from the precipice. We were saved from the brink of disaster. The paramedic saved us from uh, you know, on and on. We, we use that term in the concept of being uh, rescued from danger, and so we naturally translate it in spiritual terms as being rescued from hell. That's only a tiny piece of it, though, because in both the Greek language and the Hebrew language, the word has a much richer, fuller uh, meaning that has more to do with coming to wholeness or wellness or healing. The concept of being saved is to be restored. It's to be made well. It's to come to health. And what God has done for us in Jesus Christ is to make it possible for us to be restored. The goal is to take us from our sin, sickness, and lostness, and judgment to a place of safety and security and restoration so that we can be restored fully, both in body, soul, and spirit. In the Christian Missionary Alliance, we take that literally all the way to bodily healing, and we talk about the idea that physical healing even is in the atonement. That 
excites a lot of people in, in theological terms when we're doing interviews with uh, young men and women that are planning to go into vocational ministry. Uh, sometimes they don't understand that. But if you think about the scripture that I frequently quote when we have our times of communion from Isaiah 53, you know, where the scripture says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. Isaiah says in that same passage, surely he himself has borne our sicknesses and our pains. It's very interesting that in a day of bodily healing in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 8, Matthew records for us the account of Jesus going to Peter's house and bringing physical healing to Peter's mother-in-law. She was sick in bed with a fever. He touched her. She was made well. And then people began bringing to him all the sick, and he touched all of them, and they were healed. And Matthew says, this is to fulfill the Scripture. And he quotes Isaiah 53. Surely he himself has borne our sicknesses and our pains. By his stripes we're healed. And so... Matthew points prophetically to the cross and retrospectively back to Isaiah and says that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was to purchase for us healing. It was to buy for us restoration so that we could be fully recovered. If you look at salvation in the New Testament, and I've given you a number of references there, and I hope that you will look them up as you reflect on this message this morning, that that will be a part of your personal study this week, and you'll look these verses up. Salvation is discussed in three tenses. It is talked about in the past tense. We have been saved. It's talked about in the present tense. We are being saved. And it's talked about in the future tense. We shall be saved from the wrath of God, for example, in in the Romans passage. So when the Bible talks about salvation and the concept of healing and restoration, the Bible places that in three tenses, past, present, and future. And as we look at the Scriptures as to how that applies to our experience, and many of you have heard me speak on this before, but it's really important. This, this is where understanding biblical truth is so important to understanding our practice, our daily experience. In the past tense, we have been saved by being born again, coming to Jesus Christ by faith, being born again, being regenerated, having the Holy Spirit placed within us and on deposit in our lives, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, He is the guarantee or down payment of our full salvation. That in and of itself should tell us that it's not done yet. That something is begun at conversion that isn't done until it's done. But the Holy Spirit is the proof, the earnest, the down payment. You know, when you buy a house, you put up earnest money. 
when you sign the contract, you, you got to work through all the rest of the deal, but you put money on the table saying, I'm going to do this, and that's the guarantee that you're going to follow through with the deal. Okay, God has put the Holy Spirit on our lives as a deposit that He's going to follow through with the deal. He's going to bring us to full salvation. And so when we're born again, we're justified, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we're sanctified and set apart unto God for His purposes, we are regenerated and our spirit comes to life. And the Bible speaks of all of that as past tense. When we were saved, God started the process. But then it talks about in the present tense that we are being saved. We are being transformed. We are being made over into the likeness of Jesus Christ. The, the, the restoration now extends beyond simply coming to life spiritually. It extends to the transformation of my mind. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so there's a process that begins to go on that changes my thinking, that changes my behavior, that makes me over into the image of Jesus Christ. And then there is a future tense of salvation. When the day of judgment comes, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. We will not face His wrath. We are not coming under condemnation. We are safe in Jesus Christ. We have been guaranteed exemption from that judgment. Furthermore, the Bible promises that in that day there will be resurrection. And our bodies will be raised from the grave incorruptible, imperishable. Uh, this mortality will put on immortality. And we will be changed and dramatically made over into the resurrected glory of Jesus Christ. For when we see Him, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is, John says in chapter 3 of his first letter. So, these promises are future. So, the Scripture has for us, in the, the total unfolding of salvation's work, that there is a past, a present, and a future. And if we break it down a little bit further and look at the elements to which it applies, we can see that in the past, our dead spirit was made alive and we became alive in Christ. We can look at that and say that regeneration, new birth, is the salvation of our spirit. And then, as we are transformed into the image of Christ by the renewing of our mind by the submission of our will to the purposes of God, and eventually by the transformation of our emotions, we find that a work is going on in the realm of our soul. That the seat of our personality is daily reshaped to look and act like Jesus Christ. And in the future... The ultimate redemption is perfected in the resurrection of our body. Because physical healing is not complete until these mortal bodies put on immortality. And so you can see that salvation is spirit, soul, and body, past, present, and future. 
and that the present realm is the ongoing development of the character of Christ in the realm of the soul. I want to talk about that a little bit because there are some very interesting distinctions. The question before us is, what can I expect? In, in becoming Christ-like, what can I expect? And we have to look at the question of physical healing versus soulish health. My decisions, my choices, my thought patterns, my behavior. How do those two kind of uh, face off with each other? And I want to, I, I guess in some ways, well, I just want to present the truth. And we just have to take it the way it is. The Bible offers for us the possibility of being healed physically in this lifetime, here and now, by the power of God. God does heal. God heals miraculously. He is able to do that. He tells us that He is our doctor and that we are to look to Him first and foremost in all healing. Is any sick among you? Let him make an appointment with a doctor. It's not what it says. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them come and pray over him. We are encouraged to look to God as our healer. And, and healing, as I mentioned, is in the work of Christ on the cross. It's part of the atonement. But friends, if we look at the concept of healing, ultimately is the resurrection of the body, it is not going to be perfected until the resurrection when Jesus comes again and we are raised with Him in glory. While God can and does heal, and there are many testimonies of healing, and I always want to encourage you to ask for anointing and prayer for healing when you're sick. I want you to know that there is not a guarantee that every single person who presents their physical need before the Lord is going to be healed of that ailment in this lifetime. I can guarantee you that no matter what you're suffering with, it will not hinder you from accomplishing the will and purposes of God. I've told you before the story of R.A. Jaffrey, and I'm not going to go into that in detail, but Robert Jaffrey was a man beset by heart disease and diabetes, but he was a, a, a world-class missionary who pioneered three entire mission fields in his lifetime, even though he was never delivered from heart problems, and diabetes. But it didn't stop him from accomplishing the will of God. But in the Scripture, there are a couple of examples. There, I could give you a number, I suppose, but two that come to mind are Epaphroditus. We've been studying the Philippian letter. And Epaphroditus was the fellow from the church of Philippi who carried uh, the gift, the offering, to Paul who was in prison in Rome. And, you know, they didn't, uh, in those days, you couldn't hop a plane and go to New York Monday morning and get on a night flight and come back Monday evening. It took a while to make the journey from Philippi to Rome. It took a while to get from Rome back to Philippi. And in the process, Epaphroditus apparently became ill. 
he, he got there. He had uh, provided some help for Paul in addition to delivering the gift. Apparently, he stayed and, and helped him for a while. And he got sick. And he got sick long enough that a letter had time, or at least word had time, to go back to the church at Philippi that their beloved messenger, Epaphroditus, had fallen ill. And furthermore, Paul said, I was afraid he was going to die. I mean, read that in Philippians chapter 2. Here's the great apostle Paul, who's been used by God in the healing of many people. And here's Epaphroditus, his dear brother from Philippi, that has brought him this gift and labored to assist him. And now he's sick at the point of death. And Paul says, I was worried that he was going to die. You know, I don't get the image that Paul said, Epaphroditus, in the name of Jesus, be healed. There wouldn't have been any worry if that's what had happened. But there was prayer, there was intercession, there was a length of time that went on, and Epaphroditus was sick to the point of nearly dying. And Paul said, God had mercy on him. But what I want you to see is that this was not, okay, anoint with oil, prayer, faith, this guy's up and running again. There was a process. And Paul was not certain of the outcome. Until at last, as he said, God had mercy upon him. Sometimes that's what happens. One passage that is very intriguing to me, and sometimes a little disturbing, if I'm to be completely honest with you, is Paul's own testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he talks about his thorn in the flesh. If you recall that story, Paul says, At one point, I was translated up into the third heaven. He said, I saw things that are just impossible to describe. I don't even have words to to tell you what all I've seen. He said it was a glorious and a marvelous experience. And he said, as a result of that, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, that I should not boast and become proud and puffed up in, in, in the things that I've experienced. Now, just stop there for a moment and back up to those words. And you can check this out. Go home and read it. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, There has been given to me, given to me, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. This is one of the passages of Scripture where when Paul uses the term flesh, he's not talking about his carnal uh, nature, but he's talking about his body. And the word that he uses for messenger from Satan is the Greek word angelos. And many times we translate that as angel. It has the connotation of messenger because usually it's an angel who's bringing a message, hence a messenger. But the term is actually angelos, angel, angel. This is an angelos of Satan, an angel of the devil that is troubling Paul in his body. And Paul said, I went to God three times and I asked him to take this thing away from me. And he said, every time I went, God said no. And he said, finally, God answered and said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength will be made perfect in your weakness. Now, he's talking about bodily trouble here. My strength will be made perfect in your weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will glory in my weakness that the power of Jesus Christ can be manifest in me. The interesting thing to me about this passage is that Paul is being troubled in his body by a demon, apparently, and apparently it is not being removed from him, but God promises to sustain him by grace. 
And Paul struggles with this thing. And he glories in the weakness. Because whatever it is, he is rejoicing in the fact that God's power can now be demonstrated in his weakness. So, friends, I want us to understand that while healing is available to us and offered to us, sometimes God says no to complete deliverance of healing, as he did with Paul, and sometimes we are told to rest in his grace and rely on his power because the final bodily healing that we can expect is ultimately in the resurrection. That is not to say that when you're sick, you should not always come to Christ and ask for healing. It is not to say that you should not look to Him, as Paul did, and say, God, what's going on here? I want you to touch me. We're invited to do that. But we recognize that even in Paul's life, healing did not occur 100% of the time. In fact, it's interesting to me, and it's an argument from silence, but I think it's very valid. There is not one verse of Scripture that says, be well. There's not one verse of Scripture that says, stop being sick. Because there is an element to physical illness that is beyond our control. And it lies in the realm of a fallen world and mortal bodies and a process that God is working out in redemption that will ultimately culminate in resurrection. Not all sickness is because you have sinned. Not all sickness is because someone near you has sinned. Not all Failure to be healed is because you didn't have enough faith. We bring it to God, we put it in His hands, and we rest with the results. And we're not commanded, stop being sick. Now, why am I emphasizing that? Because I want you to see the contrast. We are commanded in Scripture... To put away anger and bitterness. We are commanded not to be afraid or live with anxiety. We are commanded to let no unwholesome word proceed from our mouth. We are commanded to put away greed, which amounts to idolatry. It must not even be named among us, or immorality, or impurity, or passion, or evil desire. The point that I'm making is that in the Scripture, while we are never commanded to be well, we are commanded to behave. And the reason that it's important that we see that is... Being well is not entirely within our ability, but behaving like men and women of Jesus Christ is entirely accessible to us. It is not a problem of the body that we behave badly. It is a problem of the soul. And it is the realm in which the Holy Spirit is presently at work. 
And in His power and by His grace, we can behave properly. The bottom line to this, and the thing that that I want to bring to our attention this morning that flies in the face of conventional wisdom, is that bad behavior in whatever form is not a physical illness. It is a spiritual, emotional, soulish problem of living in the flesh and not walking in the Spirit. And it is therefore possible to be changed and transformed by the grace of God as we walk in the Spirit. How many times are we inclined to excuse our own and others' behavior by saying, well, they have bipolar disorder. Oh, they have ADD. Well, they have a borderline personality disorder. Well, they suffer from depression. Well, their parents and their grandparents were alcoholics and they have the gene and they're alcoholics. They have an alcoholic addictive disorder. How many times do we think that way? And we want to put it in the realm of physical illness. It is not physical illness to behave badly. It is living in the flesh without the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is the realm where wholeness is promised now. God does not mock us. When He says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, He's not mocking us, saying, I know this is not possible for you, but I'm going to tell you anyway, just so you feel guilty all the time. I mean, does that sound like God? Okay? Outburst of anger are inappropriate for a follower of Jesus Christ. I know that's not possible for you to live like that, but I'm just telling you that so you feel guilty every time you have an angry outburst. It's really because you have a disorder and you can't help it. But I just want you to be miserable. God's not playing games. God is being deadly serious with us. He's saying, I'm telling you this because you don't have to live like this. You can be different. You can be changed. The power of God is sufficient to transform you. Look at what Paul says in verse 16 of Galatians 5. Walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desire of the flesh. That's very simple. It's very plain. If you're living in the Spirit, you do not have to let your carnal nature Win the day. If you're walking by the Spirit, what will come out of you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you're not walking in the Spirit, what will come out of you? Well, that's not so good. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, faction, envying, drunkenness, carousing. In the flesh, you get that. In the Spirit, you get the fruit of the Spirit. Paul is saying, you have been redeemed and saved by the power of Jesus Christ. He's put His Holy Spirit within you. He's at work in you. You do not have to live out of your carnal nature anymore. In fact, you have been crucified with Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 5 and 6. 
Jesus is not only the remedy for our sin history, he's the remedy for our sin nature. We are delivered now from the power of sin. Okay? We were delivered at the moment of salvation from the penalty of sin. We are delivered now from the power of sin. One day we will be delivered from the presence of sin. But we have the opportunity for victory here and now. And Paul says in Romans 5 and 6, because you have been crucified with Christ, past tense, you have been raised with Him to walk in new, new life, devote yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Give Him your members. Let the Holy Spirit have control. Because if He has control, then you don't have to follow the impulses of your flesh. Friends, I am telling you this this morning not because I want to frustrate you or, or get you miserable or or make you feel guilty, or even encourage you to go try harder. I'm telling you this this morning because in the power of Jesus Christ, there is hope that we can be changed. And that's the good news of the gospel. And if you don't see it in your life today, don't run out of here and tie yourself to a tree and beat yourself with a whip. Don't do penance. Don't insult the grace of God. If you're here this morning and you say, I've been, I've been wallowing in this stuff. I'm full of bitterness. I, I have anger all the time. All kinds of stuff comes out of my mouth. I just hate this the way I act. Don't grovel in that. Put your eyes on Jesus Christ and say, God, I can't be different, but you can. You're in me. You have the power to change me. And I'm counting on you to do that. I'm counting on you to make me different. I believe this with all my heart. You know, there are people in life who love to be the drama king, the drama queen. They're passive-aggressive, they're manipulators, they're controllers, they act out all the time, they throw tantrums even though they're 45 years old. They have all this bad behavior, and the world's full of people like that. But I cannot believe that a true, born-again child of God enjoys it. If you have an ounce of the Holy Spirit in you and an outburst comes out of you full of profanity and anger and frustration, I cannot believe for a moment that you like that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's got to be something in you that says, Oh, God, I hate that. There has to be. If if you don't have that experience, you need to take inventory. You may not be born again. Because it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. You know? If if you're stuck in some addictive pattern, you cannot like that behavior. If you are so filled with fear that you lay awake at night worrying, or so obsessed with anxiety that you can't even leave your house, Because you you live in mortal dread of what could happen to you. You cannot be enjoying that. That is not fun. If you're so depressed that you can't function, that must not be pleasant. And friends, the good news of the gospel is Jesus can change it. You don't have to live there. Jesus can make you different. Because this is not a physical disease. This is a problem in the soul. That he is at work in the present to 
restore. He wants to make you mature. Next week, I'm going to spend a little more time talking about the the interplay and the complexity between body, soul, and spirit. I, I feel I owe you that. And, and, I, and I feel that people that struggle with various and sundry disorders and chemical imbalances and all of those kinds of things need to have some biblical exposition of, of what's going on and, and what's possible and those kinds of things in the realm of the Spirit. But I'm talking this morning about behavior. You know, I'm not talking about how you feel inside. Here's, here's the glorious truth of freedom in Jesus Christ. I've got this passage at the end. If the Son shall make you free, you will be free indeed. Here's the truth of glorious freedom in Jesus Christ. You can behave well no matter how badly you feel. This is, this is great news, friends. You do not have to live as a slave of your emotions or a victim of your circumstances. How do people, from the Apostle Paul to, to uh, missionaries and people and believers down through the ages, how do they suffer beatings and imprisonment and abuse and horrors that are unspeakable and manifest the love of Jesus Christ and sing psalms in the dungeon and praises to God and live in victory over those circumstances if there is not the power of God to be different. Do you think they enjoy the abuse? Do you think it feels good that somehow they don't have any pain? No, they have learned to live in the Spirit no matter what is happening in their body. And I want us to know this morning that the hope of Jesus Christ is you do not have to be controlled by your emotions. You can live in the victory of Jesus Christ and grow up and be mature. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, this is what I do, forgetting what's behind. So you're here this morning and you say, man, that doesn't describe me. Okay, forget it. It's behind you. This is a new day. This is a new moment. That's past. Forgetting what lies behind and looking forward to what lies ahead. I'm pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are mature, have this attitude and if in anything else we, we, we need correction, God will teach us that as well. Friends, are, are you growing up in Jesus Christ? Are you mature? You don't have to be an infant in the faith. You know, I think back of people that I've known through the years who have behaved in ways that psychologists describe with certain disorders. Borderline personality disorders is a favorite. It's, it's kind of a catch-all. It means we don't really know what to call them. They're not narcissists exactly, and, and they're not this or they're not that, but, but, they're, but they're, they're drama people. They love drama. 
They love histrionics. They love manipulation. They play the passive-aggressive game. They love control and twisting people around their finger. And they spend their whole life looking for other people to meet their needs and gratify their wants. And they make sure you feel guilty of sin if you don't. And, and they make you miserable. And they do everything to just get what they need all the time, sapping the, the life and strength out of everybody around them. And I'm here to tell you that in Jesus Christ, you can grow up and put that kind of behavior aside. You don't have to live like that. You can be different. It does mean that you're going to have to start looking to Jesus to meet your needs and not every person around you. People think that that, uh, romance or marriage or children or some other relationship is going to satisfy me. It ain't never going to do it. It will never meet your needs the way Jesus is designed to meet your needs. He is your only Lord and Master. He is the only one that will meet you at that deep level. At a wedding ceremony yesterday, and the couple was reminded not to look to each other for the perfection that only exists in Jesus Christ. And so you have to grow up. But you can grow up in Jesus. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Some people don't like it because you know what happens when you grow up? You have to be responsible. You have to act like an adult. Oh, man, I don't like that part of it. But Jesus wants you to be a giver. He wants you to be an inspirer. He wants you to be an encourager. That's His nature. He wants to produce it in you. He doesn't want you to be a taker. He wants you to be mature. He wants you to grow up and and be a rock so that other people around you can grow up because He wants to make you whole. Friends, we cannot blame bad behavior on some physical disease. It is a problem of the soul and Jesus Christ has promised healing for that now. Through his spirit. Walk by the spirit. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. You can live the rest of your life. By the grace of God. Without another angry outburst. Not another one. Yes you can. You can live the rest of your life. Without another temper tantrum. You can live the rest of your life. Without saying another thing. That is unkind or cruel or inappropriate. You can live the rest of your life without saying anything else that is profane or abusive speech. You can because Jesus makes it possible. You can live the rest of your life without going and looking for another porn site. You can live the rest of your life without gossiping or behaving inappropriately in any other manner. Because God makes it possible in the power of the Spirit. And as A.W. Tozer said in one of his devotional thoughts, you and I are as holy today as we want to be. Do you want to be like Jesus? The Holy Spirit is available to you to make that possible. Don't go out of here and try harder. Go out of here today and put your eyes on Jesus and say, Lord Jesus... I want to be, I love you. I want to be like you. I submit to you. I give you my life, my whole being. 
lock, stock, and barrel. I want you to fill and control me with your spirit. I want this life. And if you find yourself face down in the mud, do not lie there and wallow in self-pity. Get up and put your eyes back on Jesus and get back on the path because he will lead you day by day in the development of Christ-like character. That is possible in Jesus Christ. Father, give us the hope, the hope of glory in Christ Jesus and encourage us that we might walk like him. May we live in the power of your Spirit and know the glory, the glory of a full salvation. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.